This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, October 17th, 2023 edition of Invest Talk. Appreciate you all tuning in to this channel as well, or to the show. And uh, I'm Justin Klein, and of course, we are here to help you become a better investor. That's what this hour is made for. That's what we design it to do is to educate you and give you actionable material each and every weekday. Help you filter out the noise that is all around us from social media and beyond and try to give you the facts on the ground and what, what matters to your decision-making process. Not the bombastic headlines or, uh, you know, we're not here to bang buttons. Think of Kramer, right? Uh, it's not what this is about. This is not just entertainment. I know a lot of people think of it as entertainment. We don't think of it as that. We think of it as education. And so that's what we're here to do is here to educate you as much as possible. Now we're going to talk about the market performance. We're going to run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hey guys, I'm just wondering if Bob from ticker symbol PR. HSX, down about 15% on the stock. Just wondering if it's something I should hold on to or get rid of. Thanks. All right. This is T. Rowe Price Health Sciences. So it is a mutual fund. Anything that ends in an X would be a mutual fund. And it is clearly designed for in the, into the large cap growth space. And uh, it's basically a hybrid biotech slash pharma index or fund, shall we say. And it's clearly doing poorly. Let's look at the performance so far this year in total, including dividends, et cetera, down 3% on the year. So, and, and lagging the overall category. So other healthcare mutual funds lagging that category by 5%. Okay. So, this is not doing very well at all. Uh, and I talk about healthcare as one of the worst places to be in an inflationary environment. And you're seeing that here. So I think you absolutely want to pat or you want to be selling this name. Uh, not only do you have issues with patent cliffs, a lot of the pharma companies, but in a higher interest rate environment, the biotechs tend to not do very, very well also. So you need to just cut and run. This is in a clear downtrend. The broader dynamics of the higher cost of capital and the regulatory regime going forward is not in the favor of this sector at all. It's probably, it's definitely in the bottom three of the 11 sectors of the S&P that you want to be invested in over the next five to 10 years. And you see that in the chart and the performance today. So uh, move on, find something else outside of the healthcare industry. All right, now we have a lot of ground to cover in today's show. 
My main focus point looks at passive investing 101, impact and consequences. Now, it's true that some low-cost investment vehicles have been beneficiaries or beneficial for investors, and passive investing appeals to those looking for a free lunch. But we know that there is no free lunch in the financial markets. So as we get into it, I will explain passive investing, and I can also talk about passive investing in real estate, and you can think about uh, of this information uh, over, as, as you course in, as, as your course in passive investing 101. Okay. Now we're going to talk about other things that are in the docket, including the private credit markets, the challenges you're seeing with private loans. This is this is probably the area that has the most risk in the markets today. Is uh, these private investment vehicles that are being sold through large brokerage firms, and they tout their performance and their low volatility, but in reality, it's just lack of mark-to-market and in a lot of ways making up the current price because these aren't widely traded. And so you often see a lot of a lot of misguided allocations of capital, misguided quotes on the underlying value and the trades the the amount that these are trading at, and uh, ultimately could spread to the wider financial system. So we're going to look at that. Also, EVs and lithium. A lot of people love the lithium space. I get calls all the time. Should I buy lithium? Oh, EV craze. More demand for for, for lithium-ion batteries. Should I be buying lithium stocks? It's probably the most commonly asked about green metal that's out there, green mineral that's out there. And it's been one of the worst places to invest. So we're going to talk about why that is. And it's similar to what I've been saying for a long time, but we're going to add on to the many factors. And then lastly, why banks are likely to see continued pressure on their deposit costs. Okay. So those are the things on the docket for me today, My, and uh, we we have a lot to, to talk about. One is uh, vo- our voice bank questions, one is on ex-dividends, and the other is on GMBXF, which is a Mexican OTC name. Uh, let's take a look at the market today. Very, very interesting day overall. The S&P was basically flat, down half a point, and you had large cap Large caps only up 0.9%, sorry, not 0.9, 0.09%, so call it 0.1% on the day. The big winner, small cap value up very big today, up uh, 1.41%, outperforming the S&P by nearly a percent and a half on the day. So some big movers in the small cap space, especially the commodity world. You had gold up, you had energy up. Uh, you just have commodities across the board do very, very well. So you had to be allocated a certain way. If you're allocated to the broad markets, the indices, you certainly underperformed. All right. So that was the market today. And as we enter in this geopolitical regime that is increasingly volatile, these are the type of days that you are increasingly likely to see. Okay. So that was the market uh, today. And as we go to a break, let me remind you that check out our new Invest.Classroom Classroom series. It is streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. Episode 11, titled Options, 
is up. And over the past couple of years, options have become more and more popular, especially for new investors. So in this episode, we'll give you a primer on what options are, how they work. And we also pass along strategies for using options to hedge against risk. We talk about how to incorporate options in your portfolio for potential growth as well and a lot more. To learn more about options, just search invest.classroom over on YouTube. And now the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at 888-99-CHART. Get ready for the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar, Profit Amidst Chaos, Strategic Investing in a Recession. The Wealth Webinar will be presented online and free of charge, but you have to register in advance to reserve your spot. How could the next recession differ from previous events? With the right strategies, you can safeguard your investments and also seize unique opportunities. So join Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein and Luke Guerrero of KPP Financial as they take you through the maze of mysteries involved with investing in times of recession. Tell your friends about the next Invest Talk Wealth Webinar. It's happening live, online, and free Thursday, November 9th from 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Go to investtalk.com and register now. The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets to fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99Chart. All right, our main focus point looks at passive investing 101 and its impacts and consequences. And the rise of passive investing over the past 30 years has revolutionized the way investors obtain exposure to the world equity markets and even the bond markets. And ETFs and the rise of them in the 90s had provided a cost-effective way for institutions and even individuals to participate in financial markets without a relatively high fee, you know, very low fee options. And it's been the primary vehicle for many investors, leading to the rise of the vanguards and black rocks of the world. So if you're, if you're a passive investor, the appeal is that you're looking for a free lunch. And we all know there's no free lunch in financial markets. And what's increasingly happening is that the, the trend towards passive is distorting markets. And it's been particularly noticeable over the past five years or so. Now, the original appeal for passive investing was, to, was that there's an increased number of uh, increased awareness of fees. And a theory behind passive stems from the efficient market hypothesis, meaning that all the current information that is available is incorporated into the price of these assets. Now, the problem with that is that 2008 kind of threw a wrench in that, right? It was talked about the problems in the housing market and misallocation of capital in the mortgage market. And, but Clearly, the prices of these securities were way off from the true fundamentals. Now, passive, when you think of passive, you think of not doing anything, right? 
The problem is, is that when you see continuing inflows into these quote unquote passive vehicles, they no longer become passive because they were invested at all times. And that when money flows in, they have to buy securities. And they're doing it mindlessly, systematically. And they have no interest in the fundamentals of the securities that they purchase. They just say, hey, this is the mix. I don't care what cash flows are, earnings are, dividend yields are, et cetera. I'm just allocating towards this mix. And they have become the indice, index funds, have become the dominant players in markets. And the S&P 500 is the main one. And the main problem with the S&P is that was not constituted as an observation vehicle, or it was constituted as an observation vehicle. It wasn't created as a way to invest. Now, in order for the constituents to be investable in the S&P, they must meet certain float and liquidity requirements. Meaning, they are now they were they were shifted to be designed to be more investable. Remember, S and P constituents change from time to time, and as the demand for the index in index funds have increased, the board that chooses the S and P five hundred constituents has pushed the the ones that make up that that index to become more liquid. Now, originally, it was what was called market cap weighted. But in 2005, as the index craze was gaining steam, they changed the methodology to what is called float-adjusted market cap weighted. And the primary driver of this change was the capacity of companies within the index to absorb those flows, to allow as much capital as possible into these vehicles. And what is float adjusted? Well, float adjusted is how uh, the amount of shares that are being traded out there in the marketplace times the current market price. So what that means is that if insiders, right, it, it, extra, it, it excludes the number of shares that insiders own of those shares. And so increasingly, the S&P has been constructed so that less and less Management ownership is represented in the index because the companies that have a higher weighting have less insider ownership. And if you look in the history of the S&P, the majority of the outperformance has to do with the fact that it had tend to overweight the, co- the, the companies who had a lot of insider ownership, right? Because they have a lot of incentive to keep the price high, the, the company doing well, et cetera. So after the, I'm going to go to a quick break, and I'm going to get to the next issue with indexing and why the construction of the indices has become a big problem for the markets as a whole. Now we're going to a quick break. You can call anytime. Leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via the live stream or an AM twelve twenty in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, before the break, I talked a bit about how, in general, companies that are underowned by the management teams, insiders, are becoming more and more represented in these indices because of the float adjustment in how they're constructed. But what it's also favoring are companies that don't pay dividends. Why is that? Because when a company goes ex-dividend, we know the stock falls a little bit, right? To compensate for the loss of value coming out of that firm, the dividend that it's paying. So its market cap tends to fall slightly. And therefore, its weight in the index tends to fall as well. And slowly, the companies that do not pay a dividend tend to get more flows. Now, if uh, the passive vehicle instead reinvests the dividend it received, it would keep the weighting steady. But instead, it's allocating towards those companies that are larger and don't pay a dividend. And that's why you continue to see the, these broad indices not pay very high dividend yields and the companies at the top paying no dividend at all for the most part. And the breakdown between value and growth has continued, right? Because value investing is kind of a proxy for – sorry, dividend investing is a proxy for value investing. And if you go back in history, going all the way to 1927, value has almost always won out. Until recently. Same with small caps. They tend to almost always win out, except for in the world of financial repression, in the world of indices becoming more dominant. Now, it's on the equity side. The bond side, there's similar problems. They're also weighted by the amount of of outstanding issues in the bond market. So if you buy the BND, the total bond market index, if there's continued to be more and more treasuries being issued compared to corporate bonds and munis, et cetera, then more and more money of that money allocated to a bond index is going to go to those names. Let's go to treasuries. And if the value of a certain bond drops, and others stay high, then money is going to continue to be allocating towards those higher price bonds and thus lower yielding bonds. And that increases what is called the convexity, the risk within those bond indices, and you've seen why they've dropped so dramatically. So there's no consideration for the credit quality of the business or the ability to repay these, these bonds. So it's clear that passive investing does not meet its own definition that you only hold the securities. It adjusts based on what is worth more, not what is the better value. And this is having a profound impact on markets. Now, that was, this will likely continue to a degree until there's a reversal. And that's really, I think, the big risk here. 
is when these flows reverse, you get into, say, a recession. Unemployment goes up. People start to sell their index funds out of their 401ks, for example. And I think that's a big risk as well as, as these flows unwind and go the other way. All right, let's keep the pace going and pivot back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for a call that came in earlier. Hello, I'm calling. Um, I have a question for Justin um, about symbol GMB XF Grupo Mexico SAB the CV as a play for investing in Mexico and also since it's one of the largest uh, copper producers in the world, getting in because of that. Would like your input. Thanks. Goodbye. All right, this is Grupo Mexico de CV, and it's a holding company that operates mining metallurgical in the mining and metallurgical industry, exploration, exploitation, and benefit of the met- metallic and non-metallic ores. It also has multimodal freight service and infrastructure development. So a bit diversified within the Mexican economy. It has 14 mines in Mexico, Peru, the U.S. Chile, Ecuador, and Argentina. It produces copper, silver, zinc, gold, and lead. It has a transportation division, three large railroad companies through its subsidiaries, rail holdings. And let's see what else. It is the largest railroad operator in Mexico. I like that. So I like the businesses here. $33 billion market cap, modest amount of debt, $4.2 $4.2 billion in free cash flow. I like that. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Now, I think the, the biggest issue that you can see is probably the, the chart. The chart is, has broken the 200-day moving average. It is clearly in a, what I call a me, medium-term downtrend. And that would worry me a bit. Now, long-term... I would say I like this. I like the exposure. I like the exposure to Mexico, the type of businesses that it has, et cetera, and its long-term profitability, which in bad years is in the low teens on the return equity side, but goes as high as 42% back in 2011. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up long-term, but I'm not that optimistic about it near-term because of that chart. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we look into the story. Construction spending is solid as the U.S. manufacturing sector nears recovery. A Made in USA revival has sparked a boom, which we will talk about more tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. We're ready to take your questions now at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the Internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. 
HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, Stephen Justin, Bill from Philadelphia here. I got a question about ex dividends. Say I have a chip of cash and stocks dividend is coming up. If I put that stock or that cash into that stock the day before the ex dividend date, ex dividend date happens, and withdraw the day after, do I get that dividend paid out to me, even though I've only had it in for about two days or so? Just wondering, uh, hypothetically, I know the chance of stock going down during that time and all that, so losing money, but just want to get your thoughts. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Yes, you only have to own that stock into the close before the ex-dividend date. Basically, it works. So doesn't matter whether you own it for a year before, a month before, a week before, or a day, or even an hour. You can buy it, or a minute, right? You can buy it right before that ex-dividend date. Now, like you said, the next day, the stock's going to go down by a similar amount to that ex-dividend, or that dividend amount. And remember, you have to pay taxes on the dividend if it's a taxable account. So there's no free lunch here. But know that you don't need to own it for any long period of time. It's just owning it's going into that ex-dividend date. All right, let's talk about the private credit markets. And it's about a $1.2 trillion corner of Wall Street that boomed during the ultra-low interest rate environment. And it lent to companies, many who were pretty levered. And in many instances, they were lending using floating rate instruments. And now what you're seeing is those rates are going up. And so are defaults. And so are bankruptcies. Now, the small and less profitable borrowers are typically the ones that were taking advantage of the private debt markets. Why? Because they just couldn't get through the underwriting of large banks as well as the rating agencies to go to market for a traditional bond. And right now, many of those companies are negotiating with their private lenders and their advisors. And so these private lenders took a lot of risk and touted double-digit returns for their Investors. And many of them have returned that so far. But as defaults increase, that double-digit return can easily go away and often turns into losing money if enough defaults happen. 
Now, obviously, these funds have a lot of different companies that they're lending to. So a default here and there, that happens. That's not a big deal. But according to Bank of America, they expect private loans to default at a 5% rate next year. And that's even higher than the leveraged loan market, which is at 3%. So, And 5% would be above the long-term average. Now, you have companies like, even companies that used to be public, Smile Direct Club, they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy last month. They got a private loan of $255 million after going public and being valued at nearly $9 billion just four years ago. And so these are companies that traditionally don't have a lot of access to capital. They only have access when times are really, really good. Money is really, really loose. But that's no longer the case anymore. And a lot of these loans were given out with very relaxed terms. And that's helped a lot of them stave off bankruptcy. Many of them are renegotiating and allowing them to basically pay back in more debt as opposed to cash flow. Others have been negotiating for rights to collateral, such as inventory. That's helped. But you continue to see this distress build. And many of these BDC company companies, for example, InvestCorp Credit Management BDC, wrote down its investment in career builder by 44%. So not only are you seeing the defaults rise, but even the ones that are performing to a degree are being written down because of expectations in the future that their business will continue to deteriorate to a level where there will be defaults. So if you own one of these private credit vehicles, don't get fooled by that 10% plus current yield because that is likely going to reverse over the next few years as rates stay higher. Let's go to Paul in Palm Desert looking at NVO. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I was, uh, this came across my dashboard, of course, a little late in the game after it's doubled in the last year, but I wanted to mm-hmm. keep, see what your take is. I was thinking of maybe it, adding a little bit to a diversified portfolio and wanted to get your take. All right, this is Novo Nordisk, and it's roughly one-third of the global branded diabetes treatment market. Okay, it's based in Denmark, and it manufactures and markets a variety of human and modern insulins, injectable diabetes treatments, uh, oral anti-diabetic agents, etc. Well, is this one of those – what's the the, the drug – where you don't feel like eating, I forget the name of it. Uh, is this one of those companies? I forget which ones are are booming from it. Um, I'm not a huge fan of of, of those uh, those drugs that basically make you not hungry. Um, but let's see, Ozempic. There we go. Do they have an Ozempic competitor? Do you know? I don't. I don't know. Okay, let me see. 
Oh, yeah. Nordisk does have the Ozempic. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So this is this is that uh, the hype over the Ozempic. That's what I thought. Um, right. And and that's that's the trend here. So the technicals are fine, and I think that's what you have to buy into. I've never bought into these drug fads. I've seen them boom and fail time and time again. There's always major side effects. For this, it's major problems with the digestive system because basically it keeps your food in your stomach for a long period of time. And that's why you're not hungry. And that creates other problems downstream in the digestive system. Kind of screws up your whole digestive system. Um, And so I, I, I think that this is a fad that will fade like most fads do. There's no... There's no easy way to lose weight without any side effects. There's always major side effects to these things, and that's why I wouldn't be chasing this this fad. All right? Thanks for the call. Now, the Vestock Voice Bank never closes, and that means you can leave your question any time of day or night, or you'll get, or we and we will get to it on the next podcast. So let's play another question now from eight at eight ninety nine chart. Hey, good afternoon. I was trying to reach Justin, Steve, or Luke. This is James from Georgia, and I was trying to contact you guys. I have a stock. I've been holding it for quite a while. Well, I mean, not quite a while. I've been having it for less than a year. That's not very long. Anyways, it's called Medtronic MDT. That's the ticker symbol. And it's extremely low in its 52-week range. It is a public limited company. It's Ireland-based company. It provides healthcare technology solutions, and their products include advanced surgical technology, cardiac rhythm, cardiovascular, digestive, and gastrointestinal. I bought this thing. You know, this is one of those things I was hoping I could just buy, hold it, and I'm curious, what are the fundamentals? How is this stuff performing in your opinion? I'll listen to the show for your answer, and appreciate everything, guys. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Are looking at Medtronics, and it, well, the stock is clearly performing poorly. <laughs> that's that's uh, easy to understand. It peaked out in mid twenty twenty one around one hundred thirty six dollars per share. Now it's down to seventy two and change. Its major support level will give you a technical major support level right around sixty seven dollars. Sixty seven dollars is that range where there would be major support. Now. I talked about the medical industry not doing very well. And uh, this is luckily, it's a fairly well diversified medical device name. And that's an area that I like probably more than the pharma names, mainly because they don't have the patent cliffs that many of the pharma, pharma names have. This makes pacemakers, defibrillators, heart valves, stents, et cetera. So mainly focused on cardiovascular systems. And it has about 50% of its business overseas, 50% of the business here domestically. Now, with the trajectory of the price going much lower, I would say I'd be worried about the debt levels. And they have a decent amount of debt, about $16 billion in net debt, which frankly, if you look at the size of the business, not too bad. $96 billion market cap, $4.5 billion free cash flow. I wouldn't say the balance sheet is over levered. So that's a positive. If you look at that free cash flow, four and a half billion, it is on a downtrend, but it's been more mean reverting since the pandemic peak, shall we say. Uh, so 
You know, it's the issue here to me is just the technicals are so poor. Now, it's definitely a bond proxy of 3.8%. So that's probably a big reason for the correction is that it needs to it needs to yield more when there's not much growth. If you're looking at earnings, 2019, they made $5.22. This year, they're supposed to make $5.12 after making $5.29 last year. So it's pretty much a zero growth business, which makes it kind of like a bond. Right? If there's no growth of the business, then it's all about the cash flow and the, the dividends and the interest, et cetera. And 3.8% compared to a 10-year treasury at nearly 5% now, it's not that great. So that's my main issue is that it's too much of a bond proxy. The technicals are poor, and there's not major support until that 67 level. It's at 72, so you're getting close to there. Um, but that's the way you have to look at it. I'm not a huge fan of this name because of the lack of growth. But I would say it is cheap compared to its earnings and its historical multiples it's trading at, but we're also in a higher interest environment. So that's something you have to take into account as well. So I would say it's modestly cheap. It's not a bargain, but it is modestly cheap. And uh, at a right price of 67, I'd take a stab at it with a stop at 65. All right. Thanks for a call. Thanks for the call. All right, 8899 chart, 8899 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, let's talk a bit about lithium. And I get calls all the time. Should I invest in lithium? Should I invest in lithium? Look at this company. It's earning money. Albemarle is the most common one, ALB. And it is in a clear, clear downtrend. And recently, it walked away from a large deal to buy an Australian lithium miner for $4.2 billion. And it's pretty clear why they did it. The trend in prices continues to go down. Lithium prices peaked in January of this year at 74,000 metric tons. What is it today? 27,000. 27,000. So the market liked this. The market liked uh, album actually rose when they, they pulled out. And what it shows you here is that it's not just about demand because the demand for EVs have continued to go up. The adoption continues to rise. Now, not dramatically, not at the pace that I think a lot of people had hoped. But what you're seeing is that it's easy to find more. It's easy to go and, and source this, this raw material. Fresh supply is coming on stream. And there will be a surplus over the next few years. And that's why when you're looking at the commodity space, CapEx cycles are extremely important. It's not just about demand. It's also about supply. So you have to ask yourself, over the past few years, or the amount of time it takes to bring a new mine on, has the industry been on a CapEx boom? Or have they been stopping or being very 
careful in their uh, ex- their their expenses when it comes to building new mines. And in the lithium space, it's clear. Others within the industry are or have been seeing the the rise in demand, and therefore they have been putting on supply, supply capacity. And it's very easy to do that compared to a lot of other metals or raw materials. And so that's why lithium is on this big roller coaster. And lithium chemicals aren't stable enough to be stored for long periods. So if there is an oversupply, they're going to dump it for next to nothing. Otherwise, it's worth nothing after a certain period. So I wanted to highlight that industry because it's so, so important to not just follow the demand curve, but also understand the supply curve as well. This is the best talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday. Let's help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. got finance and investment questions and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk 888-99-CHART. Hey Justin, it's Andy from Atlanta. Friday was a great show, man. I'm really trying to learn here. Listen, I hear that you're you're uh, talking about copper a lot. I, I've been with SCCO for quite a bit. And I just did add to that position. Are there any better plays? I know there's Freeport. I looked at another company. I think it was a Canadian company, T-E-C-K, Tech Resources. But uh, you kind of got my ears up on copper. I think I want to try to get into that a little bit and stay there. Looking for your advice. Greatly appreciate the show. And I look forward to your answer. Hope you guys have a great day. All right. Looking at... Tech Resources, obviously you own SCCO. And what's interesting here is we own both of these for our clients. Now, tech is a bit more diversified. They are not just a coal miner. They also mine for, sorry, they are not just a copper miner. They also mine for coal and zinc here in the United States, as well as Canada, Chile, and Peru. And their metallurgical coal is their primary commodity. So you're not getting a pure play copper producer here. Although copper is their second largest contributor to EBITDA. Now it ranks the as the world's second largest exporter of seaborne metallurgical coal and a top three zinc miner in the world. Okay. It's building a major new copper mine in Chile. So that's a positive. So there's some copper production growth there, which we really like. And yeah, I mean, I, I think of more as a, a good, a well-run, diversified mining company with good copper exposure, as well as obviously a lot of metallurgical coal exposure. So think of metallurgical coal as what you use to make steel. Okay, so we like both. All right, let's talk a bit about how banks are likely to do going forward. We know that higher interest rates 
have has created a banking crisis that happened earlier this year. And a lot of it has to do with the higher costs of deposits. And there's a lot of reason to think that there's room for the cost of those deposits to keep going up for a while. Now, in the second quarter, the average overall cost of deposits at U.S. banks, 1.78%. That was still 3.2 percentage points below the average effective Fed funds rate at nearly 5%. And that gap is historically wide. So it suggests that those cost of deposits will continue to rise. Why? Because there's alternatives. Treasuries, short-term treasuries, very cheap, no risk, and you're getting five plus percent. And then there's CDs. And by the second quarter of this year, time deposits, that's what they're called, time deposits, meaning they're locked up for a certain time period, at U.S. banks made up 13% of all deposit deposits. Now, that's way up, nearly double from the 7% level in 2021 2022, which were historic lows, because just frankly, banks didn't need to pay more. They had a lot of excess reserves. But the last time the 10-year rate was this high, CDs were 30% of all-time deposits. 30. Now we're at 13. So it could nearly triple. And remember, time deposits typically cost a bit more. And it also limits the bank's ability to benefit from falling rates if that increases. So for right now, they're going to benefit from falling rates. But as that ticks up, that's going to hinder their ability to uh, pivot their, their business if rates do fall. Now, system-wide, almost 25% of domestic deposits in the second quarter were non-bearing versus 20% back in 2007. So it's very likely that at least another 5% of deposits are going to head towards something that yields something over time. And this is going to continue to pressure margin, uh, net interest margins for banks. And that's why I think medium term, I'm still not very excited about the banking industry because of these spreads. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And it's official. We have now surpassed the 56.3 million download, le- download count since it all began. And that's thanks to you, our friends of Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.